Well, good morning, Community Bible Church. I'll tell you, man, we can't sing those songs before I preach. It just... That's dangerous. That's dangerous. Well, thank you, Brandon, for, uh, for being here this week and uh, coming back and lead us in worship. We've missed you and Kinsley both very dearly, so, uh, so thank you. Well, uh, this week we are continuing our series on prayer. As we've gone through the book of Luke, we've made it through 10 chapters Last week, we started chapter 11. Tom, Tom kicked us off on this, I think it's, is it eight weeks? Eight weeks study through the, the Lord's Prayer. And as Tom mentioned last week, um, where is, 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 you know, some of you don't think we've gone through Luke that fast. And maybe you're right. But uh, as, as we've taken some bigger chunks of Scripture and preached through some big chunks in, in one sermon... For eight weeks, we're really slowing down, and we're focusing line by line on the Lord's Prayer. And, and each Sunday, a new member of our preach team will be preaching just a few words of the Lord's Prayer. And it, it is our prayer, Community Bible Church, as, as, a, as a preach team, that, that we would be a more prayerful people, but not just that we would pray more. We pray a lot. I mean, of course, we could pray more, but, you know, when we get together, we, we typically pray for an, an extended period of, of time. It's not that we would pray more. Now, now, hopefully, as we study God's Word, we would see just the incredible worth and value that God puts on prayer, and our heart's desires would be to pray more because we just see it as just such a worshipful activity. So don't hear me say, don't pray more. I, I think that could be a byproduct of this, of this series on prayer. But our bigger desire would be that we would pray in a way that gives God the most glory. That we would pray in a way that honors Him above all else. And His Word has a lot to say about prayer. And so, as, as we come to, to Luke chapter 11... May that be our heart. May, may, may that be your prayer this morning as I'm preaching, that, that as we see Luke 11, verse 2, I'm just, I'm just going to be preaching that today, that you would, you would say, Lord, what is it about these verses that you're calling me to when I come to you in prayer today? May that be the question. If you're taking notes, just write that down. As I, you know, as I, as I think about prayer, I, I think back to a season of my life when I, when I lived in, in Rabin County, Georgia. Now, if you don't know where that is, it's, uh, it's up in the northeast corner uh, of the state of Georgia. It's in the mountains, and I, and I, and I went to a, a, a church, a mountain church called, uh, it's also CBC, Clayton Baptist Church. It was the church that I, I went to right before I, I came to this one. You know, as you know, we, our family lived up there for a few years, and um, it was a very formative years. Uh, just, just as my time here has been formative, there it was, it was formative. And, and one thing that I can think about in the ways that which Clayton Baptist Church was formative was it really taught me a lot about prayer. And it's not that, um, 
my previous pastor would preach a lot about prayer, not that he would neglect it, but, but, but I actually learned a lot about prayer as, as I would go on Wednesday nights. We, we would meet in the sanctuary at 6 o'clock, and there was about 30 of us, 35 of us somewhere in there that would, uh, that would pray. And we prayed for about 30 or 40 minutes before we would do our Wednesday night study. And I'm telling you, I was probably like the youngest one in there by like 30, 40, maybe even 50 years, okay? And so I was, I was, in, my, I was in my mid-20s, if that gives you just kind of some indication of, of what Wednesday night looked like. And, and, and I, remember, I remember sitting there as I would hear just some of these older saints pray. I would, I would, I would listen and to just hear, like, two groups of people. Some that, like, got it. I mean, I, was, I would listen to them pray, and, and it was just, they would pour their heart out before the Lord. They, 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 would, they would praise Him, and, and they're just, their, their prayers were just beautiful and eloquent, and, and they were sincere, and, and, and they, I, was, I just would listen to them pray. And, and I would think, man, they're like, I've got something to learn. Like I would, I would look at their prayer life, and and I'd be like, man, there's this this giant gap between their prayer life and my prayer life as a 25, 26 year old young man. And I was just like, that. There's a giant gap. I've got a lot to learn, and and I'm glad over the course of a few years that I could be there every Wednesday night. It wasn't exciting. wasn't flashy. There wasn't lights. There wasn't you know loud music. There there wasn't pizza. It was just like you know older saints and me, and maybe a few other younger saints. It was amazing. There's also like the other group of people in the room. And they were also older. So don't just assume that just because you get older, you get better at praying. There was also the group in the room that, that, that kind of prayed in a way that, that I, I kind of like to call gossip praying. And, and, and with that, it was like, and Lord, you know, I, I, I just want to pray for Bobby, who just got a DUI, you know, Lord, I, I've been telling him, like many of these people in this room know, I've been telling him that he needs to put down the bottle and he needs to start coming to church. But last Thursday, I saw him at Ingalls, and he was buying him a six-pack of Bud Light. And I, I said, Lord, and then here he is, Lord, with a DUI. So, Lord, I just pray your blessings upon his life, that we would be a good example to him. And then, you know, you see the difference there? What's the difference? The difference is the audience. The difference was the audience. See, this group over here, the, the, the object of their prayer, the audience of their prayer was a holy father. They recognized his glory. They recognized his holiness. They, they recognized that he heard them when they prayed. And so they would joyfully pour out their hearts. And it was, it was just evident for us all to see. It was edifying. It was worshipful. It was beautiful. The other group over here, the actual object of their prayer was the other people in the room. They actually weren't really pouring their heart out to the Lord. They were sharing stories of their week and, you know, stories of gossip about other people in the town or other people in their family, other people at the church for 
the other people in the room to hear. And it was just fairly, fairly obvious. And if we're honest, a lot of our prayers, they might not be for the purpose of gossip, but maybe they're for the purpose of being heard by man, for the purpose of sounding good, for the purpose of looking good, for the purpose of people thinking that we're maybe godlier than we are, or maybe it's just some kind of like religious thing that, you know, we just, we're really not thinking about the object of our prayer. Or maybe our object is misplaced. Instead of gazing upon a holy God, a good God, a merciful, gracious, holy God, we're content with one another hearing our heartless prayers for our own glory. And and, and I would say this church, this this morning, maybe you look at your prayer life and you think, I wish I had a better prayer life. Does anybody raise your hand? Anybody? Anybody out there? Like, I just, I just wish my prayer life, it's probably all of us. Most of us probably aren't sitting here thinking like, nailed it. I should be the one up here in the pulpit preaching because I've got it. And so like, I, I'm telling you, none of us, Tom, included. None of us up here are perfect in our prayer life. We're not. So I'm not up here telling you something that I've got figured out in my heart this morning. But, 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 but I do see what Christ is calling us to, and I pray that, that as a church that we would like take this serious. And so as we're thinking about our prayer life and saying, Lord, I just, I desire a more fervent prayer life, I, I, I desire a, a prayer life that honors you, that gives you the most glory, that brings you the most pleasure. That, that, that I, I, just, I just want a better prayer life. Here's my main point this morning. The most foundational aspect of prayer is understanding that we are approaching our holy, heavenly Father. The most foundational aspect of prayer is understanding that we are approaching our holy, heavenly Father. This morning we're gonna we're gonna look at this Lord's uh, this line in the Lord's prayer, and I know most of us know it. And, and I, I'm guessing I'm probably not going to tell you anything this morning that you don't know. If you've been a part of a church for a long time, I'm probably not going to impart new information to you. But I'm probably going to impart information to you that you forget very regularly. And so if this is not new information, I want you to see it as a reminder and a refresher, kind of a recharting the course, if you will, to what Christ calls us to as we pray. So hopefully you've made your your way to, to the book of Luke. I'm going to read the first few verses. I will not read through the whole Lord's Prayer. Uh, Tom did that last week. I, I will just read just the section leading up to the verse that I will be covering today. Luke 11, 1 through 2a. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, When you pray, say, 
Father, hallowed be your name. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. As Tom kicked us off last week, he, he pointed to the fact of, of why should we pray? And he pointed to this fact that really, if, if I could sum it all, he read a lot of verses, but if, if, if we can sum it all up, that prayer is important to God. Prayer is important to God. We pray because prayer is important to God. And as we see it here, as we've already seen in the book of Luke so far, Jesus is praying. He is in, in verse 1. Now, Jesus was praying in a certain place. It didn't matter where he was praying, but here he is. He's praying in a, in a certain place. And, and when he finished, one of his disciples walks up to him. It's like the, the disciple sees Jesus, and, and, and maybe he's been following Jesus uh, at a certain point at this time, and he, and he sees a gap. He sees, he sees Jesus praying, and he sees Jesus. He he's just sees his prayer life and, and how intense it is. He, he sees his prayer life and how intentional it is and, and, and how often Jesus prays and and. Probably the disciple looks at Jesus and is like, there's, there's a difference between the way Jesus prays and the way that I pray. And we know that Jesus' disciples at this time, they were, they, were, uh, they were Jewish. And so these Jews, they were, not, they were not unfamiliar with prayer. I mean, you go all throughout the Old Testament, you go through the Psalms, lots of prayers. And so they're not unfamiliar with prayer. Prayer wasn't a foreign concept to them. But as they gaze upon the Messiah in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity put on flesh and dwelt among us, and they see his prayer life with his heavenly Father, they say, there's a gap. There's a gap between the way that Christ Jesus is praying and I'm praying. And I'm uncomfortable with that. I don't like that. I desire that. I don't desire where I'm at. I look upon Christ. I desire that. I desire that prayer life. So, the disciple, he comes to Jesus and he says what? Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. If Tom talked about last week why we should pray, over the next few weeks we're going to talk about how to pray. That's our goal. What should we pray? What, what, what are the things that we should pray for? How should we pray? Now, that's important. Because I'll tell you, if there's a phrase that we as Christians utter more than anything else, it's this, I'll pray for you. I'll pray for you. Have you said that this week? I said it this week. And how often do we say, I will pray for you? We just, we don't pray for them. It's just kind of meant to be just an encouraging few words to say to somebody that we have no intent of praying for. And sometimes we do. Sometimes we pray. I'm not just saying we always say that and never do it. I don't want to give us a guilt trip. That's not the point. The point is, is that prayer has become so ingrained in our philosophy and so ingrained in our vocabulary. But oftentimes, if we're honest, we have a very bad theology of prayer. If we're honest, many of us haven't actually been taught a biblical way to pray. We think that prayer is just anything that I want it to be. Anything that I say is prayer, that's a God-honoring prayer. And I would tell you, dear friend, this morning, that is not a God-honoring prayer. Prayer is not about you. Prayer is about God, and God has a lot to say about it. And, and Jesus here, he, he doesn't just say, well, just talk to God. Just say what you want. Whatever you want to make a prayer, that's prayer. He doesn't just say, you know, prayers, just positive thoughts. You see that these days. Somebody gets sick, somebody gets COVID, 
You know, I'm, I'm sending positive thoughts your way. Positive thoughts? I'm sending juju vibes your way. Juju vibes? Juju vibes? You kidding? I hear Christians talking about positive thoughts and juju vibes. All, if we're honest, I mean, we, we, we think about these things and it's like, the world has formed our prayer life far more than we like to think. And so we need, we need to gaze upon the word of the Lord and let Christ form our prayer life. We need to let the word of God form our prayer life. Amen, church? And so as I talked about it this morning, the most foundational aspect of our prayer is understanding that we are approaching our heavenly, our holy heavenly Father. Our holy heavenly Father. We're going to talk this morning about the approach of our prayer, the object of our prayer, who we are speaking to. That is the most important thing that you must understand. Who are we praying to? Exactly who it is. Who is, who is it? What does the word of God say about the object of our prayer? It has a lot to say. So here's what Jesus says. Father, when you pray, say this. Start this way, disciple. Begin your prayer this way, disciple. Father, hallowed be your name. So we're going to parse that out a little bit. Point one, Christ calls his disciples to approach God intimately. Christ calls his disciples to approach God intimately. We see this here. When we begin our prayer, we start with what? Father. Father. It's so simple, isn't it? Such a simple phrase. You know, in the, in the ancient Near East, it was often common for people's prayers to be very wordy, very eloquent. And we see Jesus kind of battling the Pharisees in this. He says, when you, when you pray, don't be like the Pharisees. They, they heap up many words with no heart. Very common. Very common in those days. And it was, it was of common thought that they had to heap up these words to try and get God's attention. That they wouldn't, they wouldn't get God's attention unless they were heaping up all of these phrases and clauses and word after word after word after word. Didn't mind the heart. It's all about the words. And, and, and look here. Look how simple it is. Jesus says, when you pray, say, Father. It's so simple, isn't it? We say Father, and he, and he hears us. Does that not wow you? If it doesn't wow you now, it's going to wow you in a moment, because we're going to talk about the holiness of God in a moment. But when we say Father, the Lord of all creation, he hears us. It's almost as simple as, hey, Siri. I say, hey, Siri, my phone, beep, beep. Just, it just hears me. It's simple. 
Hey, Siri, beep, beep, beep. I wasn't even talking to you. I wasn't really talking to you. But, he, but, but listen, we don't need to come before God with word after word after word after word after word after word. We, we, we approach him simply, Father. And he hears us. But you're saying God as Father is not just simple, but it's also authoritative. Not authoritative is just some this, this ogre father who's always trying to, you know, beat his kids into discipline, into submission, and all that. No. You know, we've, got, we've got a very, in our culture, we've got a very poor view of fathers. And that's because there's a lot of bad fathers out there. There's a lot of fathers, you know, that abandon their family. There's a lot of fathers that neglect their family. There's a lot of fathers that are far more concerned with everything else in the world than they are with, with discipling their children. We, we, we live in a culture that, that really has a bad view of fathers, and that is not the fault of the culture, that's the fault of the fathers. But when we speak of father as authoritative, Jesus' disciples would have understood that. They, they would have understood the father as, as someone like in, in the very first few chapters of the book of Proverbs. We see a, a wise father who's speaking to his son and, and calling for his son to, to walk in righteousness and, and to reject the world, to reject sin, and, and, to, and he speaks tenderly to him, but, but yet authoritatively. My son, do not do this. Do this. My son, reject this. Find this pleasing. If you go read the first few chapters of, of Proverbs, you see that. You see really this godly, authoritative, humble, wise father. We're not talking Homer Simpson here. This, this doofus type of father. We're talking a wise, authoritative father. But we also see that it's, it, addressing God as father is not just simple, and it's not just authoritative, but, but here it's intimate. It's intimate. We're approaching a loving father. You know, some of you have been blessed with a loving father, a father who cares for you, a father who's tender, a father that leads you and loves you and, and protects you, a father that when you, when you climb up on his lap, he, he, he doesn't push you away, but he, he listens to you. He looks you in the eyes and he, and, and, and he, and he desires fellowship with you. Some of you have that, Father. Some of you don't. But the type of Father that our Father in Heaven is, is the type of Father who's not too busy for us, church. He's not too busy on his phone for his kids. He's not too busy with his job. He's not too busy even ruling the whole universe for his kids. And again, I, again, I know these aren't mind-blowing thoughts that you've never heard before. But when we approach God in prayer, this is who we approach. We approach him as our heavenly father who loves us and who hears us. So when we bow our heads in, in, in prayer, what does this look like? I mean, really over the next few weeks, all the application of this is, is really going to be applied to prayer. 
So, so what, is, what does this mean for our prayer, if we're approaching God as, as Father? Well, listen, when we bow our heads in prayer, and we, we start, we begin, we must understand that we are coming before our loving Heavenly Father who hears us. In other words, you're not just heaping praises up and hoping God gets it. We're not firing like, you know, warning shots in the air hoping somebody hears us or SOS or anything like that. We're not, we're not taking a, a message in a bottle, putting it in the ocean, hopefully someone hears it. No. Just like one of my kids would come to me and say, Father, I need to talk to you. The same way when we pray, God, our Heavenly Father, He hears us as a loving Father. That should, form, that, 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 should, that should totally reorient our hearts in that moment when we come to God in prayer. You know, this is not a wasted exercise. This isn't. It's not a waste of time. Even though we can't see God's direct response, we have a Heavenly Father who hears us and who desires to hear from us and who desires to fellowship with us. This reality This reality is the foundation of our prayer, church. It is. So Christ calls his disciples to approach God intimately. Intimately. Our our prayer is one of, of intimacy. Point two, Christ calls his disciples to worship God intensely. Christ calls his disciples to worship God intensely. And this is just mind blowing here, church. We approach God as Father. But then we approach God, hallowed be your name. See, this is where the difference is. Because when my kids approach me, they come to me and and, and I might listen. But there's no point in which my kid hops on my lap and they can say, Dad, I know that you were the wisest, most powerful, sinless person in the entire universe. No. When they hop on my lap to speak, they come and speak with one who is frail and broken and sinful and probably already ignored him once in the day and probably, you know, lost my cool another time in the day. And, you know, no. But when we approach Father, we approach him as Father. But then we praise him and say, Hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. Set apart is your name. Unique is your name. Holy, holy, holy is your name. This is our Heavenly Father that we are approaching in prayer, church. This is it. As we bow our heads and we, and we close our eyes and we, and we say, Father, we must understand that, that, that we are speaking to a holy God. He's not just our buddy. He's not just our pal. He's not just our dad that we go fishing with, we go hunting with, we have good times with, we cut up with. 
He is our Father. He does love us. He is authoritative. He is wise. He is intimate. He does love us. He does desire fellowship with us. Oh, but friends, He is holy. He's holy. And so Jesus calls for His disciples in that moment as He starts here. And He says, Your prayers are not to be man-centered. Your prayers are to be God-centered. God is the foundation of our prayer, not man. We must, un- we must understand that. You know, when I, I think back through some of the, my worst times in life, but probably some of the hardest were a few years ago, and there was, there was a lot I was dealing with. I was, I was dealing with, with just life not meeting my expectations. You know, work not meeting my expectations. Church not meeting my expectations. Friends not meeting my expectations. Nothing was meeting my expectations. And so I, I would come and I, and I would pray. People would say, I'm praying for you. Thank you. And then I would pray. But you know the problem was in that moment is, is, is my heart was just... So me-focused, expectations-focused, my prayers as I came before God, I was like, God, do this. God, do this. Change this. Do this. Do this. Me, 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 me. And so, yeah. No wonder I'm sitting there depressed. Because God's desire wasn't for my heart to be on me and my circumstances, and my glory, and my desires. Of course I was depressed. Of course I had anxiety. Of course I had all this other stuff. Because I was eyeball deep in idolatry. Idolatry of self. And the reality is a lot of times when we approach God in prayer, it reveals a lot about it. Just, just think of the things that you pray. Is your prayer you, 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 Amen. Our Father, you get the Father part. Father, hallowed be my desires. Hallowed be my expectations. Don't question me, God. Just change my life. We're honest. We may not be that blunt. But when we actually look at the things that we're praying for, it, it reveals who we're actually praying to. Not to a holy, righteous God. But a genie in a bottle. Like the genie from Aladdin. You know, we, we, we expect just to come before God and, and, and rub a little lamp and, and then out pops this blue genie who sings a song. You know, you've never had a friend like me. And you've never had a friend like me because I can just, I can give you whatever your carnal heart desires. And so you should love that. No, that's not who we approach when we approach God in prayer. Our goal is, here in learning, and in fact, understand this, church. As, this, as, we, as we consider this eight-week study in prayer, I want, us, I want us to really understand something. Our goal in learning how to pray is not learning how to pray in order to get what we want. You might think that's what we're trying to do. I want to have a more fervent prayer life because I, I want to somehow figure out a way to get more of what I want. That's not why we're doing what we're doing. 
We're learning how to pray in order to give God what he wants, church. And that is the glory that he deserves. That is why we are learning how to pray. That is why we're, we're taking eight weeks and, and, and going slowly because I, I want us to see just how God-focused Jesus' prayer is here. It's not man-focused. The point of your prayer is not you. The point of your prayer is God. But God does love you. And so we can approach God with our needs. We can approach God with our desires. But the point isn't that God would bend his will to you. It would be that you would bend your will to God and that God would change you in that moment. God, that your prayer is not you-centered. It shouldn't be. It should be God-centered. God, hallowed be your name. And we know that throughout God's word that God is very concerned with the glory of his name. In fact, we read in Isaiah 48, 9 through 11, is this, God's really giving a, a rebuke of Israel here. He says, for my name's sake, for my name's sake, I defer my anger. For the sake of my praise, I restrain it for you, that I may not cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, for my own sake, he doubles down, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. And you can go read prophet after prophet, and you'll find the same thing. God primarily is concerned with his glory alone. And so, as you approach God in prayer, we must understand this, church. As I approach God in prayer, we must understand this. We, we are approaching a holy God who is concerned with his glory. We are approaching a holy God who is concerned with the glory of his name. It is a moment of great intensity. We think prayer is just boring, and we think prayer is just, I don't want to do it. You know, I'll come to the Bible study after prayer. I'm going to skip the first 15 minutes. I'm just going to come to the Bible study. No. <laughs> you might be skipping the best part, friend. Prayer is a moment of great intensity, of great, of great worship. And you're thinking, well, my prayer life stinks, Brian. I've never experienced that type of prayer in my life. I don't understand it. You know, it's really interesting. In this book, I, I, I've probably talked about it with some of you before. I know some of the young men are, 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 um, are reading it in our church. It's called Praying the Bible. It's by Donald Whitney. He was uh, my spiritual disciplines professor at Southern Seminary. Great book. You can see how short it is. It might change your life. It might be a good thing for you to read as we're going through this, um, this study. But, but he, he talks about this in his book, that, that our prayer life often stinks because we feel like we're praying the same old thing about the same old thing about the same old thing. Does that resonate with you? It might. You feel like, I just constantly say the same thing over and over and over. And, and the reality is our prayer life might stink because we have an inadequate view of God. An inadequate view of of God. We really might not really know the God that we're praying to all that well. I'm not saying you're not a Christian. I'm just saying you might be a very shallow theologian. And you might be a very shallow theologian because you don't read God's word. Where our holy God is revealed 
And that's the point of this book, Praying the Bible, is that we would take passages of Scripture, gaze upon them, the things that it reveals about God, and that we would pray those things about God back to God. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna look at that concept this morning. If we're, if we're to consider our Father holy, and we're to praise Him and worship Him intensely, what does that mean? What does that exactly mean? Well, God's Word actually has a lot to say about that. So I'm going to finish my time this morning out of the book of Luke in order to make a point into what Jesus means when he says, hallowed be your name. And so if, if, you'll, if you'll turn with me to the left, to the book of Psalm, chapter 99. Many of you know this passage. The pretty famous psalm that talks about the holiness of God. It has three distinct sections. It's, it's nine verses. I'm, I'm going to read it. it. It has three distinct sections, each at the very end of each section, talking about the holiness of God. At the end of verse 3, it says, holy is he. At the end of verse 5, it says, holy is he. And at the end of verse 9, it talks again about the holiness of God. God is holy. The point of this psalm is the holiness of God. And so if, if we're going to praise God for his holiness, it is very important that we understand what it means for God to be holy. Amen? So for that, we turn to Psalm chapter 99. I'm going to read it. Please follow along. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. He sits enthroned upon the cherubim. Let the earth quake. The Lord is great in Zion. He is exalted over all the peoples. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. The king in his might loves justice. You have established equity. You have executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. Exalt the Lord our God. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also was among those who called upon his name. They called to the Lord and he answered them. In the pillar of the cloud he spoke to them. They kept his testimonies and the statute that he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but an avenger of their wrongdoings. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain. For the Lord our God is holy. Amen. So what does this psalm, Psalm 99, bring out? And what does this psalm, what, what should, how should it influence our prayer? That's what I want us to think about as we look at this. I, I want us to look at the holiness of God and how it should impact our prayer. Okay? And so, and so the first thing we see here in, in verses 1 through 3 is that we must gaze upon God's majesty and respond in praise. We must gaze upon his, his majesty and respond in praise. And the first thing it says this is this, is that the Lord reigns. That the Lord reigns. That, that God, he reigns, Period. You know, we, we, we look a lot, uh, around the world and, and we look at how Afghanistan is, is now being overtaken by the, the Taliban. We see them killing Christians. We see them, them just murder throughout the streets. We see uh, an, an ever more corrupted, corrupt government here in the United States. We see, we see um, even within the church in America, we see corruption everywhere. 
okay? We see this, we see this virus that is, that is kind of overtaking our, our country. We see the economy acting weird. And, and it's easy for us to look at all of these problems and think, what in the world? Who's in control here? I've got to, I've got to worry because the Taliban's in control. I've got to worry because the Democrats are in control. I've got to worry because the virus is in control. I've got to worry because money's in control. I've got, got to worry because corrupt Christians are, 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 are corrupt wolves are, are leading many churches around our country and around our world. I've, I've got to worry, 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 worry because corrupt people, corrupt individuals, sinful people, evil people, evil things, evil institutions, whatever, they reign. So we worry, and we have anxiety. Oh, but we come to Psalm 99, church, and you know what we see? The Lord reigns. He does. So when we approach our God, we are approaching, church, the one who reigns, the one who's sovereign, the one who establishes kings and brings kings down, the one who put the Israelites in Egypt, and the one who brought Egypt down. The one who created Satan and then puts his foot on Satan's neck and defeats Satan. That is our God, church. He is holy, and he is reigns. He reigns, and there's absolutely nothing, not one molecule, not one decision, not one person, not one institution, not one dollar, not one cent in this entire universe that is outside the authority and sovereignty or the sovereign rule of our God. That is our God, church. That is our God. That is the one who we approach. If that doesn't change, if you just, if we, if that's all you get this morning, if that's all, that's all you remember the sermon this morning is that the Lord reigns, that should drastically, drastically, drastically change your prayer life. Oh, Lord, that you'd give us eyes to see just how sovereign your rule and your reign is. And may it change us this morning. May it. But here's the response. Here's the response. In, in Psalm 99.1, the Lord reigns. What's it say? Let the people's what? Tremble. Well, that seems kind of contradictory, doesn't it? Why? Because he is so good. Paul Washer says it this way, the most terrifying news in the entire world is that, is that God is holy because you are not. A perfectly holy and good and just God rules the universe. He, he stands above Sinful humanity who rejects him, walks against him, abandons him, wants nothing to do with him, is more, is more concerned with what happens on the football field than what happens on the throne. Who's more, who's more excited about growing their Instagram following than making disciples. That, that's us, church. The Lord reigns. Let the peoples tremble. And he really does reign. God's not just flexing here. 
God's not faking it. We're not going to come to a point where, where, we, where we realize that God's a fake. I think, I think about the story of, of the Wizard of Oz. And you get to this point in the Wizard of Oz where like, they, make, they make their way to the Emerald City after the, the munchkins and all that and the yellow brick road. They finally follow it. They get there and they find the Wizard of Oz and they see this like, great and, like, you know, face up in, the, up in the center of this weird room with fire and, and smoke. And, and they're, they're falling and like, their, their knees are, are, are you know, clicking together, and then, you know, you get the cowardly lion, he goes, he runs out the room, I don't know why he just jumps off somewhere, he's just, you know, whatever. And ultimately, as they're sitting there scared, what they find is that the Wizard of Oz is actually a fraud. He's a fraud. All it takes is one little tiny dog, Toto, to go and and, and pull behind the curtain to see that this man isn't who he says he is. But listen, church, That's not God. There's not going to be a point in which you look at God and you find out that he isn't as powerful, majestic, and holy as he says he is. He is every bit as righteous and strong, powerful, holy as his word says and more. His word only reveals what our hearts can even fathom. And we still don't even understand just how holy God is. Oh, God is not a frog. He, fraud, he, he reigns. And it says next that he sits enthroned above, he sits enthroned upon the, the cherubim. Let the earth quake. As you know, the, the Jews would have understood this, this cherubim. Cherubim were, they're all throughout the Bible, and it says a lot, just, just to make a long story short, cherubim are, are angels that serve the Lord. I mean, it was in Genesis where we first see cherubim, where as, as God kicks Adam and, Adam and Eve out of the garden, he puts uh, cherubim in place to, to guard the garden, to, to guard the, the tree of, of life. The, these, these angels, they, they, serve, uh, they serve the Lord God. These cherubim were, were all throughout the temple, all throughout the tabernacle, it's, it's specifically on the ark. There, there were cherubim that were placed on top. Of the ark, and the ark was put in the holies of uh, put in the holy of holies in the tabernacle there, and there was the mercy seat that sat right in the midst of the cherubim, where the Lord would dwell. And so, the what what I think this this text is is getting at here, and speaking of being enthroned upon the cherubim, is is this, is that the Lord even reigns over the angelic beings, and like you know, if you think you you know. People ask, do you think maybe you've ever seen an angel before? I don't know. I don't think I have. But I'll say this. uh, Every time someone sees an angel in the Bible, they're terrified. And so here's the reality. If we were to get a glimpse of these cherubim as John does, or if we get a a glimpse of these cherubim as Isaiah does, or we get a glimpse of, of angels as the shepherds do, we would be terrified and we would be tempted, like John in the book of Revelation, to worship them. They are majestic beings. They, 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 they were created by God to serve God, and they constantly fall on their face before God and say, holy, 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 holy. These majestic, angelic beings that would terrify us, they worship the God, and they worship the Lord God. And the response here, let the earth quake. Let the peoples tremble at the, at the holiness of God. Let the earth quake at the holiness of God. We, we think about this in Isaiah 6, as, as Isaiah gives this vision of, of the throne, and maybe, maybe you've missed it, where well, there's so much there, but, but consider this. 
that as God speaks, the foundations of the thresholds of heaven shook. The heavens shake. The heavens declare the glories of God. The earth quakes at the glory of God. And then it says the Lord is great in Zion. Zion was this, was this poetic language for the city of Jerusalem, the city of God's people where God's chosen people would, would dwell. And in all throughout the Old Testament, we see the nations that would tremble at the thought of God's people because they trembled at the thought of God, who God in his, in his might would destroy the adversaries of God, making a way for his, his people to dwell and, and his people to dwell safely. The, the, the nations were terrified at times of the Israelites because of the power of God. But in God's city among God's people, it's not God's city that's great. It's not God's people that are necessarily great. It's the fact that the Lord is great. The Lord is great in Zion. He is great. And what's the response for the people that we see in Psalm 99? Let them praise your great and awesome name. Holy is he. Our prayer, how does this impact our prayer, church? Well, when we bow our heads in prayer, we praise God and we understand that we are coming before the God that reigns. Whatever issue we're bringing up before God, we must understand that God is sovereign over it. God is sovereign over whatever issue that you're dealing with. Whatever situation, whatever person, whatever, whatever you're dealing with in life, whether it be in our country, in this, in this world, in this church, in your family, in your heart, God is sovereign over it, church. So as, we, as you bow your head, Father, hallowed be your name. Understand what you're saying. Not that we've got to pray the exact words, hallowed be your name, but understand this in your heart, that God, I know you're sovereign. I know you rule, and I know you're majestic, and I want to praise you for that. Before, before I utter any request, God, oh, just let me acknowledge who you are. Next, we see in verses 4 through 5 that we gaze. We must gaze upon God's character and respond in praise. In verse, in verse 4, we see that, that the king in his might, he loves justice, which is crazy. It's crazy to really just kind of parse it out and think about it, that, that we have a sovereign king who's in control of everything, who's all-knowing, who's all-powerful, who's all, who's all powerful, who, who reigns with no real adversary that could do anything to him. Nobody can touch God. Nobody can hurt God. Nobody can stop God's plans. We have a sovereign king who is mighty, who's powerful. And this sovereign king who's mighty, you know what he loves? He loves justice. He loves justice. Pure justice. And not justice on your standards, not justice on, on man's standards, not justice on society standards or philosophy standards or from sociologists or, or, or from a college professor or Instagram or anything else. Justice based on God's standard of justice, which God has established, as it says there, that God has established equity. God is the one who's established goodness. He's established fairness. He's established peace. There isn't just some uh, arbitrary notion of what is good apart from God. God is the one who determines what is good. God is the one who determines what is fair. God is the one who determines what is just. It is God. 
And this is the one who we approach in prayer. And it says that he has executed justice and righteousness in Jacob. That, that God has not just, God doesn't just have these undefined standards of justice and, and, and righteousness and goodness and fairness. God has, has revealed his law. God, God has revealed his standards of justice. God has, has revealed goodness and holiness and righteousness in his word. And God has revealed justice and righteousness through Christ Jesus. And God has revealed justice and righteousness at the cross of Christ. God is constantly revealing justice and righteousness. And what do we do? What do we do with that? Well, again, exalt the Lord. Exalt the Lord. Worship at his footstool. Holy is he. How should this impact your prayer, church? Well, when we bow our heads in prayer, we must understand that we are, be, we are coming before a God who is just and who is righteous. Knowing this, our, our, our heart posture should be this, that God would align our hearts with his Versus us trying to align God's heart with ours. Because it can't be said about us that we are perfectly just and that we are perfectly good. We are corrupt. We might call for justice, but it's not actually true biblical justice. We might actually call for fairness or equity, and it's not actually equity or fairness based on God's standards. We see that in our society all the time now. But when we understand that God is just and, and that God loves justice and God executes justice, even when we are treated unjustly, church, hear this, that we can trust that God's going to deal with it in his sovereignty. It might not be in the way that we plan, but God will let no sin go unpunished. So in our prayer time, it might be this, Lord, I trust you. I trust you that you, you, you understand the way I was wronged. You understand the way my family was wrong. You understand this act of injustice. And Lord, if it be your will, if it be your will, bring justice today. But if not, God, I trust you that you will bring, you either brought justice on the cross of Christ and you've paid for that sin, or you will bring justice in eternity for that individual. But whatever, Lord, I trust you because you are good and I know, God, that you love justice. And then third, we must gaze upon God's righteous deeds and respond in praise. We see this in verses 6 through 9. We see Moses and, and Aaron and, and Samuel mentioned, these, these giants of, of, of the faith. That obviously, these Jewish disciples would have been very familiar with. These, these men that followed after the Lord God. The, the, these men that, that the Lord used so, uh, in so many mighty ways. It says that these giants of the faith, they called to the Lord, and God answered them. They called to the Lord, and God answered them. We see this all throughout the Old Testament of, of, of people praying and praying and praying and God responding. God, God, in his mighty deeds, he doesn't just hear our prayers, but he acts. He provides for, he provides mercy, he provides grace, he provides protection. He, he does these things. He provides sustenance as, as God's people call upon his name. But then it says this, and this is where, this is where I actually want to focus on these last few verses. 
that these giants of the faith kept God's testimonies and statutes. They were like the man mentioned in Psalm 1 who delighted in the law of the Lord. They delighted in God's goodness. They delighted in His holiness. They delighted in the person of God Himself. But they were not perfect. I mean, we can, we can look up several times in, in, with Moses and Aaron, with, with, the, with the Israelites in the wilderness, in the, in the book of Exodus, and we see they were sinful men. They didn't perfectly trust God. There were times in which they, they, they walked according to their own ways rather than walking to God's ways. But, but what does it say? God was a forgiving God to them. These men that, that would repent before God, truly repent, truly trust, trust the Lord, He would forgive them every single time. Every person who seeks forgiveness in their heart before the Lord, God forgives. Isn't that amazing? God's batting a thousand on this. All those who would come to God truly for mercy and desire God, He gives mercy. As we come before God in prayer, we must understand this church that part of God's character is mercy. He is a merciful, 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 gracious God. He is. But he was also an avenger of their wrongdoings. He disciplined these children that he loved. Part of being a father is disciplining your children. There's going to be times in life that we sin and we can, and we can come before the Lord God and we, can, and we can ask for forgiveness and he gives us forgiveness. He's, he's already given us forgiveness in the, in the cross of Christ. But we've got to understand this, that God still disciplines children that he loves. He does. And, and so our hearts in the moment of prayer, how, how, does this, how does this affect our prayers? When we bow our heads in prayer, we've got to understand that God is very serious about sin. We must understand that. God is not flippant about your sin. That's why in a few weeks, Doug's going to preach about forgive us our sins. Matt's going to preach about as we forgive those who've sinned against us. God is very concerned with our sin. And when you do sin, he disciplines you. And so what we're not, pray, what we're not going to pray is that, that God just let me escape the consequences of my sin. No, you, even for Christians, there are consequences for your sin. But we do praise God for his mercy, and we do praise God for his grace, and we do praise God for the forgiveness found in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. Holy is he. Church, do you, do you see this? As you, as you think about your prayer life this week, as you've thought about it, as you've prayed for that sandwich that you ate at lunch, as you, as you prayed after you read the Bible, maybe before you read the Bible, as McNon came up here and, and prayed and led us in, in mid-service, maybe as you pray with us, someone sick in our church this week, 
As we approach the throne Wednesday night in our small groups, we pray. Is this the God that you're approaching? Is it? Is this what you have in your mind and in your heart when you say, Father? Is it, church? This is the God that Christ Jesus is calling us to pray to. This is the object of our prayer. This is where our prayers are directed. A holy, 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 reigning, just, merciful, good God that we can approach as Father. Is it not amazing, church? Is it not amazing that the King of kings and the Lord of lords hears us when we pray as a father who loves his children hears us? As you consider your biggest struggle in life right now, the one thing you're constantly praying for, maybe it's your health, maybe it's your child's salvation, maybe it's just the ever-constant fight for joy, Maybe it's addiction. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's the direction of this country. Whatever it is. And you're praying for it, church. Bring it before. Know that you can bring it before this God. That he hears you. It's not just an empty space. It's not just a religious activity. It is a God who intimately loves us and answers our prayers. It is a holy God who has the power to do something about it. It is a holy God who is working all things together for good for those who are called to Christ, who are, who are Christ Jesus and who are called according to his purpose. That is our God. May this reality, as simple as it is, and maybe familiar as it is, May this dramatically, church, change our prayer life as we seek to honor the Lord Jesus Christ and our triune God with our prayers. Amen.